I don't think I've ever nicknamed uh, any genitals, my own or anyone else's. <clears throat> nope. Have you guys? Uh, nope. No. I used to name my cars in college, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's close <laughs> to the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And for music video sins, Barrett Share. Yay! Yay! All right, hey. very simple today. We're going to go right into the recommends and warns today. Totes amazeballs. There go right. It hey. won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Woohoo! Nobody has to be pissed off about anything. Oh, uh, to do. <laughs> so who wants to recommend and warn and wreck-a-warn and warn amend and things? Okay. I gave it a pause. I'm going first. Um, <clears throat> I did my thing. Flipping channels. Couldn't find anything good or anything that I wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. And the only thing on the movie channels that I had not seen was the, the movie Just Mercy with okay. Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Although, I remember this. Brie Larson is in it for legitimately like six minutes. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> have either of you seen this movie? No, no, it came out last year, didn't it? I believe it was 2019, yes. Yeah, okay. we had, we um, had this in our fall preview, I think. This Back is, when you could do previews. Yes. yes. <laughs> this is uh, based on a true story, and in almost every respect, it's pretty standard fare, I think. I, I want to tell you about this movie, but I had a, a, an unexpected emotional reaction at one point at the end of this movie where I found myself going, I thought this movie was just okay. Why am I crying right now? Mm. Um, Now it could very well be, this is my guess that I was just in the exact right state of mind for the sequence I'm going to tell you about to, to hit me in the right way. But I also think this movie is sneaky. Good. Um, the first reason is that Michael B. Jordan is as subdued as I've ever seen him. Like Michael B. Huh. Jordan is usually good when he's Killmonger. He's like, or when he's in, mm. even in the wire early on, um, he, well, I guess he was kind of subdued for half that season. Uh, but Creed, we, we know him as like the, mm. a big tough guy. And in this movie, you would even think a legal drama, he's going to have some scenes where he yells and he doesn't. man. <laughs> um, is he the lawyer or is Jamie Foxx? He's the lawyer. Jamie Foxx okay. is on death row for a murder he didn't commit. Um, the second reason I think you're going to like this movie, beyond Michael B. Jordan being subdued and very good, very engaging, uh, is there's very little court in this uh, courtroom drama. Um, mm. <clears throat> I think there are two two scenes that I remember in court, and neither one of them long. But even his closing argument in the final court scene is subdued. It's not preachy and dramatic. And I think that's part of what hooked me in and allowed me to to get emotional at it is that it didn't push a lot of the buttons you would expect a legal drama to push in that regard. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Brie Larson's fine. She's really wasted. I hope they shot a lot of scenes that just ended up getting cut because uh, it 
she's a, like his legal partner, but she's, I think, in three or four scenes, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Foxx is super subdued. <clears throat> now, here's the sequence of events that got me. The movie keeps jumping between uh, Michael B. Jordan and three guys on death row. It's Jamie Foxx, and on one side of him is Ice Cube's son, and on the other side of him is a guy I thought was uh, Don Cheadle in aged-up makeup, but it's not, and I'm doing that actor <laughs> short, uh, bad service right now. But it'll <laughs> cut back to them, and they can't see each other, but they talk to each other, and <clears throat> they, one guy has music that they like to listen to sometimes, and Michael B. Jordan's character is going through, it's in Damus Bryan, he's going through this death row in Alabama <clears throat> where nobody really cares about any of these people, and he's trying to sign up as many of the inmates as possible uh, to see what, if anything, he can do for them uh, regarding justice, either pushing back their, their, uh, <clears throat> the name of when you kill a person for a crime. Execution. <laughs> Putting back their, pushing back their execution or uh, getting them out of jail completely, as is the case with Jamie Foxx. So sometimes these three prisoners are talking about what their most recent meeting with their lawyers was about. Um, <clears throat> but y- you feel the bond between the three of them. Uh, which I thought was pretty interesting acting because they can't play off of each other at all because um, they're in three completely different rooms. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Michael B. Jordan becomes lawyer for, I think, all of them, but definitely for the old man. And partway through the movie, the old man gets his notice and they've set his date for execution and he's really somber. And at some point, uh, Michael B. Jordan had promised, I'm gonna, I'll be there for you. I'll, I'll be there for your execution. And there there have been scenes like this in movies, too. Uh, but the one added touch was he's sitting in the chair, getting ready to be executed. And you see the audience, and Michael B. Jordan is there. And all the death row prisoners start cheering and banging on the walls with their tin cups and whatever they've got around them. And they're making this huge noise. And it feels like a celebration because this guy is finally getting off death row. And they're going to send him off with a smile and he smiles and you don't, they don't actually show the execution, but he starts to smile and it cuts away. And that was very moving. Huh? Uh, But that's not what got me. What got me was then later on, Michael B. Jordan gives a little speech about how that impacted him and how hard that was to watch. And that's Mm. great acting. And then he gets Jamie Foxx off for the murder. And as Jamie Foxx is leaving the prison, all of the death row inmates start cheering and banging their tin cups and whatever they've got around them because he's finally leaving death row. And I bawled. I don't know what happened, but it got me and the tears just started coming. It was a very well, it's I think it's probably a just above average legal drama. If you want the truth. And for me on, on that night, it was just perfect. It just, all the beats lined up just right. Uh, and I loved it. It's a full recommend from me. So, well, um, this, uh, this movie has a 7.6 on the IMDb. And so it looks like a lot of people are discovering it and, uh, and liking it. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. You didn't hear a whole lot about it when yeah. it came out, you know, kind of generic title and, yep. uh, that was I, its problem. Yeah, exactly. And the, the trailer, which I watched a few times, doesn't really get into what Jeremy uh, said was was so uh, impactful about it. And I think if they went that way, I would be more willing to watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this at some point. I've, I have, I've had uh, some interest in that. Uh, so I, I definitely want to see it now. Um, uh, over the, uh, the weekend, uh, David Fincher's new one, Mank came out and I'm not going to recommend uh. or I'm not going to recommend or warn that movie. Uh, that's where we're, <laughs> we're going to be doing a, a mini pod on Mank, uh, that he may come out before this podcast. I'm not even sure. Manky pod. <laughs> yeah. It's a manky pod, a hanky manky pod. Oh my God. Um, uh, but, uh, after watching Mank, which is, uh, about, uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who, uh, was the, uh, uh, screenwriter on Citizen Kane and how he, uh, came to this story, uh, how he came to write the story of Citizen Kane and everything. I was uh, kind of interested in some of the uh, bonus discs that I have on a, a Blu-ray that came out. Uh, it was a 70th anniversary uh, Citizen Kane uh, Blu-ray that I have, and it's got a documentary on it called The Battle Over Citizen Kane uh, that uh, came along with it. And uh, it's really interesting watching the documentary after watching a big Hollywood production uh, you know, about, uh, the making of and everything, because that, that documentary doesn't really cover Herman Mankiewicz too much. I mean, they're, they mention him obviously, but this documentary is about how William Randolph Hearst and Orson Welles were similar people, basically similar kinds of people who were destined to butt heads at mm. some point. And, um, and, uh, it, uh, it goes through, uh, Hearst's life, uh, his early life and, uh, uh, the things that he, uh, did to, uh, to accumulate all this wealth and everything. And, and, uh, and on Orson Welles, who was, uh, you know, who started off small and he started doing these theater productions that got a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of play. And he finally did, uh, he did one that, uh, got enough, got Hollywood's attention to basically just say here, just make whatever movie you want. You have total control. And that was citizen Kane, obviously. Um, and, uh, and so it, 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 it shows the, the sort of the, um, it shows that he, you know, he's making this movie, uh, that is so obviously about William Randolph Hearst and, uh, and, uh, the, the trouble that he had making it because it's, you know, it's, um, it's so close to the guy's life and it shows how much Hearst tried to, uh, end that film. And we almost never saw citizen Kane, mm-hmm. uh, because of it. Um, uh, there were some overtures to, uh, to, to buy the prints and never show them and burn them. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, the, the main, uh, crux of the, uh, the, the problem that Hearst had with the movie is that, it was, it was, uh, pretty, it got too personal because as we all know, uh, by now, if you know anything about citizen Kane, Rosebud was the, uh, the, uh, like the slang term, the nickname that he had for his girlfriend, Marion Davies private parts. And, uh, and so, uh, Orson Welles put that in there as a, the name of the sled and everything. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and it depicts, it depicts Marion Davies in such a way that it's played, uh, I don't remember the actress who plays, but she plays Susan Alexander, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the movie. And, uh, and, uh, and it, uh, you know, it's, it's talking about it. That's where the real problem comes in. And really the, 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 one of the great things this documentary does, and I think it was like in the nineties when this came out, 
um, is that it really discusses Marion Davies and you, you know, like you just, I never really heard much about her. And there was a lot said about how she could have been one of the great comic actresses of her generation. If Hearst allowed her to be that, uh, Hearst, much like Kane does in the movie with, uh, Susan singing and everything is very controlling about the things that, that she does. So he's always trying to put her in dramas, these heavy hitting dramas and everything. And she never quite took off the way that she could. But, uh, if you like these kind of documentaries, I got a Ken Burns feel. It's not really a Ken Burns type of, uh, documentary, like with all the stills and the, you know, the close ups of pictures and things like that. Uh, but the, the narration of it and, and everything, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just one of those, it's very soothing to watch this documentary. It's, uh, uh, very well done. You know, you, you, you just have to appreciate a well done documentary. Uh, so the battle over citizen Kane is a great, uh, sort of, um, a companion to Mank If you happen to watch Mank uh, that's on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get into that. Have you ever seen uh Hearst castle out, uh, in Malibu? Uh, or I just north of Malibu. I have it, but they do show it quite a bit in this documentary. It's amazing. It's he amazing. A, well, I, I got the uh, I got the vibes that Ex Machina sort of uh, 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 kind of lifted uh, the the ranch that uh, Oscar Isaac is on. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's a ginormous property. Yeah, because he lives on something that is half the size of Delaware, I believe. That's how <laughs> that's how that's how big it is. Yeah. And like, uh, there's a point where he said we would be driving to this place, and they would, and people would ask, "When do we get to the to the to his property?" And so if you're on the property. Is basically so. It reminded me of that ex machina thing, and I wondered if uh, if that was lifted from that essentially. But yeah. Okay, so let me get this straight because I've heard the story, but I don't think I understand it correctly. So William Randolph Hearst had a side piece named Marion Davies, right? Yes. Yes. And he named her Virginia Rosebud. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And that that was so such public knowledge that Orson Welles could write that vagina joke or a term into his screenplay. Like everybody knew that he called her business Rosebud. Nobody knew that. Where it could no. it could be public knowledge in there. No, or was I don't that think, after don't think it has anything to do with everybody knew it. I think it was more the fact that it really hit home personally. You know, uh, types like Hearst are not are not ones to worry about whether everybody knows something or not. It's just the fact that you needled him is, is enough. And and uh, the what is it? I believe it's. I'm trying to remember because RKO two eight one where Leah Schreiber plays Orson Welles. Uh, I believe it's in that movie. There, there they try to say that Carol Lombard was the one who told uh, Herman Mankiewicz about this nickname. Ah, uh, um, I see. But um, but I I don't know. I'm I'm watching RKO two eight one again as well, and uh, and it's funny how completely different it is from the two things that uh, I've seen on this Mank and the uh, battle over Citizen Kane. Oh. It's uh, definitely more liber taking more liberties, or uh, who knows, Mank is probably taking a lot of liberties too. It's just you know, but um, 
but who knows when they, he, he figured this out. If you believe the movie Mank, Herman Mankiewicz was always over there at the Hearst house and before he wrote oh. the screenplay. And there was even a thought, and this is what's brought up in Battle Over Citizen Kane, he would write a book about this, about all the things that he saw while he was there, and, and he just never had the courage to write it. Uh, so uh-huh. who knows? Who knows when he figured that he may, he may have overheard it. He may have, uh, you know, who, you know, there's a lot of different ways he could have heard. I don't think there's any definitive answer. Maybe there is of how he, he learned that information. I don't think I've ever nicknamed, uh, any genitals, my own or anyone else's. <clears throat> nope. Have you guys? Uh, nope. You know, I used to name my cars in college, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's close <laughs> to the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be really like uh yeah i guess creative to be like you know what i'm gonna call this something i mm-hmm. call it like uh jimmy buckets yeah uh, yeah i would mm-hmm. call mine pete davidson yeah yeah totally you want to pull up a pete davidson <laughs> oh shit uh i'm gonna i've got i've got several I think, go but I'm going to, I'm going to go with, with one here that I don't think a lot of people have seen. It's one hour of television on HBO and it's the euphoria special episode mm. uh, called Ooh, a special episode. Uh, it, it, yeah, it is. So they started filming uh, the second season or they were about to pre-production maybe of the second season of euphoria, which of course, uh, Jeremy and I love Chris. You saw that, right? I did. You did. And mm-hmm. did you like it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I'm super psyched about season two, but because of this thing called COVID, Mm-mm. uh, they, they had to shut down. And so they released this special episode. I had no idea what it was going to look like because I don't, you know, if you can, if you can do a special episode, why can't you do a, you know, several episodes? I found out why. Uh, this is an entire episode of Rue played by Zendaya and her sponsor, her, uh, narcotics anonymous sponsor who we had seen before. His name is Ali. Uh, he had been fairly prevalent in the first season, but certainly not a main character or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's played by Coleman Domingo. And, uh, you know, so, okay. So, uh, the, the, the entire episode, it starts with a nice fantasy sequence of, uh, Rue and Jules, her, her girlfriend, uh, in the happiest of times. We don't know how uh, close this is to reality because they split up at the end of season one. Then it goes into Rue, um, meeting with her sponsor, Ali in a pancake house in a cafe in a diner. And that's the entire fucking episode. Mm. The entire episode is essentially a therapy session. Nice. And it's, it's, but it's not, it's two people talking about their flaws, talking about, uh, their positives, talking about their relationships, talking about where they've been and where they want to go. It is one of the most authentic, beautiful pieces of television that I've literally ever seen. Um, the, Ali uh, does not come off as sanctimonious. Uh, he knows he's done some shit because he's in recovery too. Uh, and one of his lines is, I'm just a, a crackhead trying to do a little good in this world. But you know that he owns Rue, and I, I shouldn't say that. 
owns the conversation because she will bullshit anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you see in the first, from family to friends to, to, to her jewels to anybody. But this guy sees right the fuck through her. And it's a beautiful conversation. By the way, she is high at the beginning of this episode. She's fallen off the wagon. She mm. snorts some pills. And he looks through it immediately. She's like, oh, no, I'm fine. He's like, no, bullshit. You're fine. You're high. I feel like and every episode of Euphoria beautiful. could be described as she's fallen off the wagon and got yeah, high again. Pretty much. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can see when she does stop, uh, there's that that uh, stretch in the middle of the first season where, you know, she it's not the drugs. It's the depression where she sits yeah. in her bed and watches Love Island for 26 <laughs> hours straight or something like that. <laughs> uh, and you can tell, you know, or the death of her father, um, the 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 codependency that she has on Jules, like just she's a fucking wreck. And oh, God, I, I want everybody to watch this episode mm. because it's. It's untangling. It's it's pulling out a thread in a sweater, and untangling all of that. But it's it's just gorgeous to watch. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't recommend this more. Euphoria. Look up uh, the the special episode Rue. Uh, it's very very condensed. It's very insular because of the COVID, I think. But also Sam Levinson, uh, who uh, runs the series, wrote this. Uh, specifically for this character. They're coming out with a, another one after this about Jules, which I can't wait to watch. Yeah. Uh, but it's, man, y- you want to talk about a masterclass and some acting. I-, I would I would compare this every day with my dinner with Andre. It's, mm. it's absolutely perfect acting from Zendaya and Coleman Domingo, who I tell you, like I said, he's, he's not really prominently featured in the first season, but he is a dynamo in this. And I want to see what else he does after this. Wasn't, anyway, uh, wasn't Rue off the drugs uh, about midway through that first season of Euphoria? And then she yeah, had to, so. she was forced to take that. Uh, what was the that really fucking hard drug she had? To it take? was like fentanyl or something yeah, like that. Fentanyl, where the the dude fent- came over to, to the dealer's house. Yeah, yeah. It was fentanyl. Yeah. So she was off them at that point, right? She had been doing well until that happen i, I think, think even after that because uh that that third episode i believe of the first season is where she broke down outside of her drug dealer's uh uh apartment where she was like you made me and, oh it's seen mm-hmm. a soul crushing yeah uh and and i think she gets clean because he won't supply her after that right and then she does that whole thing with uh with the uh the guy above him mm-hmm. and i think after she and Jules like really coalesce their relationship, I think she's off of it for a good amount of time until she leaves uh, at the train station. And then she starts using again. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's up and down, just like addiction is. It's yep. such a good fucking series, man. I definitely want to see that. I I I heard about it, but I didn't realize it had come out. So I'll uh, I'll definitely watch that. It is powerful shit, man. I'm all for watching people act naturally. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and powerfully, and that's what this is, man. I'm I'm a fan of I'm a fan of man. <laughs> yep. Uh, right. Just another another round. I got a, I got another round. All right. Uh, I want to wreck a warn. Uh, Creed two. <clears throat> okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, because so- <clears throat> I agree with that statement. <laughs> okay. I was, um not in any hurry to see Creed. Um, 
I believed at the time that the Rocky franchise had squeezed every bit of juice out of that fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stallone was nominated for an Oscar, and I got grumpy pants about it because I, I felt like, how can you give Stallone an Oscar for Rocky 12 mm-hmm. and not right. Rocky 2 or whatever? Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah, awful in Rocky 2. No, I'm just kidding. Rocky 5. I, I finally yeah. watched Creed. This is a couple years ago. We were still doing in, in-person podcasts, which feels like five years ago. Um, <laughs> I finally saw Creed, and I loved it. I thought it was yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other day, it was probably Saturday, Friday or Saturday. I got up, turned the TV on. The only thing that was on that I hadn't seen, another Michael B. Jordan movie, Creed yeah. 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, well, what the fuck? I'll give this a little bit of a look. And almost immediately, um, it's Ivan Drago back in the picture. I'm not trying to yeah. spoil the movie. This is like five minutes no, into the movie. You, you, you know this from the trailers. All right, and you see Drago training his goddamn son. Um, I feel pretty bad for that actor because, except for the final scene, he is given nothing to do. Fuck no! But be neither was Dolph Lundgren back in the Rocky Four, by the way. Somewhat Mm -hmm. apt, right? Um, Okay, there are things to like about this movie. This is why it's a wreck of Warren. I think Stallone is good again. I think uh, Michael B. Jordan is good. I think. Fuck, Valkyrie. God damn it. Tessa Thompson. <laughs> Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson is great. Um, but there's so much that that bothered me. It kept me from connecting to the film. Like, there are yeah. good and bad things about her hearing loss in this movie. Things I liked and things I didn't. There's a scene, because if you remember in Creed, she's beginning to lose her hearing. This is his girlfriend. Uh, and in Creed 2, before his opening match, she comes into the locker room and signs to him briefly. And the subtitles come up and tell you what she's saying. And I thought that was a very nice, very subtle touch. Like, yes, she is losing her hearing even more. And we're not going to make it a drama of the week point of the story. But they kind of do. Um, <laughs> he proposes to her when her hearing aids are out. So she turns yeah. around and sees him on one knee, and it's, I think, probably charming enough. Um, most people wouldn't be bothered by that, but it felt uh, it felt like her disability was serving the needs of a comedic beat rather than serving the character, even though I'm sure someone will tell me that this has happened, where someone has had their hearing aids out and been proposed to and not heard it. Um, and then their child, they, they get pregnant, and... Mm-hmm. There's a great big fucking huge deal made about how scared they are that that kid's going to be deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's probably what a parent would do. I'm not a parent. I can't. I've, I I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I would imagine most parents would hope their child would not be deaf. Um, uh, but it still felt the way the movie played it a little cheap. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem I have here is is the setup is fucking ludicrous. He's six and zero. Oh. Adonis Creed is six and zero, oh. and mm-hmm. big promoter guy goes. Now is the time to pull the plug on this Ivan Drago's son, 
and they bring him over to America and they issue a press conference and a public challenge. You must fight me. And I'm like, dude, is six and oh. Like I remember <laughs> yeah. when like Mike Tyson was fighting or Evander Holy, they, those guys were like 31 and oh, right? Mm, like yeah. Yeah. you get to six and and I gra- granted the opening fight where he wins his sixth match, he wins the belt. So he's the champ. And I guess that's enough for the Drago challenge thing to happen. But I was like, dude is six and oh, he hasn't earned shit. Man, I mean, he have earned the belt by winning that fight, but six and zero. Oh? Yeah, yeah, that would normally be a lot of just like garbage fights that they would try to milk for all the money that they could get before yeah. the belt. Yeah. Then, then he's he's ready to do it and everything. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Now here's what here's what bothers me the most about this movie, and I'm ready for people to disagree with me, or for hopefully Barrett to agree with me, is that by bringing Ivan Ivan Drago back, you make this more about him than about Creed, Adonis Creed. Yep. Yep. Um, And I know the movie tries very hard to give Adonis Creed motivation because this is the man that killed his father. I got to be honest. He should be 10 times angrier at Rocky for not throwing the towel than he would be at the boxer who threw the punches that ultimately killed his father. What? <laughs> you're blaming you're blaming Rocky for Apollo Creed's death? The movie does. The movie flat out no! three, two flat out says that one of the news reports says that Rocky took heat for not having thrown into the towel when Creed was ki- when Apollo Creed was killed. I'm saying I'm not yeah. blaming Rocky. Yeah. I'm saying he should blame Rocky as much as he blames Drago. Drago was just punching. He was in a boxing <laughs> match. He's doing what he was supposed to do. He didn't know the guy, mm-hmm. the guy was near death. Yeah, uh, but this movie makes Drago out to be like Zod from fucking Man. Yeah, of like, <laughs> he's, he's like, had, he's he's like the Cobra Kai guy in Karate Kid too. Exactly, and so then the movie has Michael B. Jordan flailing around trying to be the lead of his own film, um, and he shouldn't be. I will say another thing in the positive col- column is they bring Felisa Rashad in to play. Mm-hmm his mother and damn she's good like yeah i forgot she sure how is. she was she's, she's in the first yeah. one too okay I, I didn't remember that but i forgot how good of an actress is there's a couple there's a couple scenes in here where she basically tells her son off almost and it's just awesome to watch like just somebody who's so confident in their acting um <clears throat> anyway so i didn't hate it i definitely didn't love it uh, there's also a part where Drago goes up the steps and sees the Rocky statue and hundreds of people are running up the steps imitating the Rocky run, which means the statue and people imitating the Rocky run is now canon within the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. And that was weird to me because I was like, the fuck? Like, yeah, not, not, yeah, there were no witnesses in people the movie. People do that world. in real life when they go to those steps. And I think there's even a statue now because of the movie and people doing that in real life. But anyway, it was a movie with no, 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 choices. I felt like I could see the absence of the director. Um, God, I'm bad with names today. Ryan Coogler, Ryan uh, Coogler. Was, was the was. Yeah, that was about to say the thing about Creed 2 that bothered me the most was that Coogler shot those fight scenes with some flair and like tried to do some things that were cool with it and this is back to your basic uh quick edit punching yeah uh boxing scenes if i recall correctly i haven't seen creed 2 in forever but 
Um, but I remember like, you know, when you watch that first Creed, you're like, man, he's just like, he, they don't even, they don't even cut in that first yeah. fight that he has. And, and, uh, and it, and it just feels real and awesome when, when, when the fights are going on in the first one. Anyway, there, there I do go. have to say though, in Rocky two, he does run through the neighborhoods when he's on his way back. He runs through the neighborhoods and he's got a, he's like the Pied Piper, like all of the yeah. the kids join him yeah. and, and the people join him as he runs up the steps of the, the art museum. But does that get like within the movies that then like, oh, the news picked that up and now everyone does it every day. I think everybody kind of, well, once they put the statue up there, because they put the statue up there in Rocky three, that's when Clubber Lang challenges him. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 grown in popularity by word of mouth or whatever around the neighborhood that everybody knows that this is his route, and he finishes up by going up the stairs of the art museum, and the, the they put the statue up there in Rocky Three to dedicate it to him, and so that's why everybody does that. Now, in reality, the statue of Rocky is down behind a tree uh, at the bottom of the art museum uh, uh, promenade. Uh, so that's weird, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, within the movie, I think, yes, people would be no, doing, that. I refuse. Yeah, I'm I refuse saying to- there's two different things going on though. Just because they put a statue up doesn't mean they know about his run up the steps and him running and jumping up and down and shit. You know what I mean? There's the, the, just because they put that statue up doesn't mean they know about that. Well, he's saying uh, because the kids followed him that one time. Well, yeah, the kids. Thing, yeah, the kids following them, sure, but like that's that would have to become a news story, and then it would have to, you know, uh, be a thing that everybody knows that he does, and it's and it's and it's permeated nationally, and then in Creed two, uh, it should it's something that has has moved on for thirty years yeah. that people still <laughs> do. Um, yeah. um, man, Rocky three. There is nothing more stark about how different movies are than Rocky three. When you compare it to Rocky one and two. Oh yeah. I haven't seen three in forever. One and two are seventies as fuck. Like rock. That first Rocky is like, you could, you could obviously say it's a, it's got a glacial pace almost. Uh, and Rocky two is, is, is somewhat, I mean, it's, it's still, it's still pretty with coloring inside the lines and everything. Rocky three, man, uh, Rocky is rich now and he's, and he's, and he, and it's, and then Stallone is different. Rich Stallone is obviously super rich now. And like that whole opening sequence where he's getting that thing and he's about to fight Clubber Lang right there at the statue ceremony and everything. It's like, Jesus, this movie is so eighties, so eighties. <laughs> yeah. He fights Hulk Hogan on that one. That uh... was wild. I don't think that. I think the fourth one is pretty fucking eighties too. Um, oh well, the fourth one is as eighties as it gets. Uh, I'm just saying when you the, there's, yeah. no, there's nothing more there's nothing more stark uh, in different like looking at a series than watching those first two Rockies and then getting into the third one because that third one is so different immediately. Um, okay, I may give you guys a choice about which one I want to talk about. Ooh. So I'm going to give you three choices and I will decide to recommend or warn or whatever with these three choices. I wrote down, I wrote down being there, the Peter Sellers movie from 1979, uh, where he plays, uh, uh, a, a simple, a simple gardener who, um, 
who uh, who becomes a really big deal because people think that his uh, his simple phrases are like actually supposed to be something deep and political and everything. Uh, and Peter Sellers is awesome in it. And there's two documentaries I saw. One is called Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies. Mm. And another one is Belushi about John Belushi. Mm. Mm. I would pick Belushi. I would take Belushi. Okay. I will recommend Belushi. Mm. Uh, Belushi is on, I believe, Showtime. I saw this through Hulu or whatever. But um, Belushi's, the documentary that they're running is, I think, based on some phone conversations. So you actually hear people talking uh, about Belushi. And I don't remember what year they, they got these interviews or anything, but people who really knew him and uh and uh and 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 talking about his early life this is something that i never really uh i don't think i've ever heard anything about belushi other than his death that's the and, and you know obviously the saturday night live stuff and i and, uh, and and a little and a little bit through some of the national lampoon stuff that i've seen uh has has talked about belushi because there's a there, the, the the you know their paths intersect uh quite a bit especially with animal house uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, he was also a part of a, uh, comedy troupe, uh, that, uh, I think was based on national lampoons, but, um, but, uh, uh, hearing, hearing his uh, wife talk about him back in the late sixties and how they were, uh, I think hit their, his parents, uh, you know, he and, and James Belushi, uh, their, his parents, uh, were immigrants from Albania. Is it Albania? Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, they, they moved to Chicago at an early age and, uh, and, uh, and just hearing about how Belushi wanted to become an actor. Um, uh, he, they went to some sort of, uh, I can't remember what, I think he, they saw some sort of play or saw something, saw something on stage. And he told his dad, like right after that, he, I'm not going to be a part of the family business. And he, the family business was, uh, running a restaurant. He's like, I'm not going to be a part of this business anymore. I want to be an actor. And uh, so he started, he went and uh, did summer stock uh, right mm-hmm. after that. And uh, he started becoming a performer. And I don't think I'd ever heard this side of Belushi, how driven he was mm-hmm. and how, uh, and, and, you know, to the point of being an asshole, which is what we always uh, hear about when it comes to uh, people who are really driven to be, this one thing. And he didn't want to do Saturday night live. He thought TV was beneath him. He thought TV was, uh, was an idiot box. Um, and, uh, and he really didn't want to do that, but, um, you know, it, it takes him through this life and like how he got up to this point where finally, you know, he's on Saturday night live. And then first season Chevy chase is the big star of Saturday night live after one season. And, and uh, Belushi didn't like that. Belushi wanted to be the guy who everybody talked about. And, uh, and of course then, you know, it also talks about how he's first getting introduced into drugs and, and, and sort of the, the, I guess he, he, uh, he, he was, uh, I think he was depressed for a lot of, uh, his, uh, his time. Uh, uh, and, uh, he was, he he was happily married. He loved his wife, but he also would uh, would uh, you know he would either uh, cheat on her or he would uh, get back into drugs, and it would be hard to reach him and stuff. And so it was they they put that thread in there, 
as to how how his how all this was leading up to his death and everything. But uh, that documentary is really good because it's a side of Belushi that I don't think a lot of people really know. They know the sort of the buffoon from Animal House and Saturday Night Live and everything, and that you know, comic genius type stuff. But I don't think every anybody really. I don't know how many people really know about this, this drive he had in him to be the best and, and, and everything. And, uh, you know, that type of thing. So it's a, it's well worth watching for that. Yeah. He, uh, he was talented, man. You know, the drugs, the drugs, wish there was a way to do drugs without consequences. Don't you? Cause, <laughs> cause uh, drugs are respect. so good. <laughs> I, I mean, you could probably get by with with uh, fucking a lot more than you can with drugging. Like, drugs are really good. That's the whole point of drugs mm-hmm. is that they they're <laughs> awesome, and uh, and then they kill people, and it's just like, god damn it, drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, can't you just dr- be drugs? The, the the problem, and I think they discuss this, you know, and this is something that I think a lot of people know, but. You know, the problem is always chasing that better high, that that high that you got the first time and you can never get that way. You can never get a higher high. And then so you start trying to get worse drugs and then, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, Or you do more of them than you uh, than you uh, intended. So you get Um, just like sex. (laughs) Right. right. Well, you could do both. Hey, how did he die? Was it uh, cocaine that he died on or was it Believe, oh it was an eight ball wasn't it, it was an eight ball it was a uh, it That's was right. uh, he was started to get into heroin and uh and uh, i think there were even some friends who were shocked that he had gotten to that point um but it also sets the stage like i think a lot of times we hear oh belushi was hanging out with nicholson and robin williams at the time you know and 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 uh and this documentary curiously doesn't mention that, uh, not to say that mm. it's not true, but they, but it, 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 it paints a more isolated picture, mm. um, that his wife was, uh, that, that his wife was, uh, doing a, a therapy session. She needed therapy herself and that, you know, her, her, uh, psychologist said, you know, I, I need you to stay here and so we need to work on some things. Meanwhile, he was off in Hollywood uh, trying to get this movie off the ground. I think he was trying to get this movie. Um, I can't remember what that was. Um, and, was it uh, neighbors, uh, well they did neighbors, uh, and neighbors, uh, you know, was not very well received. Uh, not very good. Yeah. Movie. It's not a very good movie. <laughs> um, but it, it was, it was, uh, I believe it was after neighbors. It was a script that he was writing with somebody else. And, uh, and he, he had, I think he had been informed that Ackroyd was writing ghostbusters for him at the time too. Uh. Um, but this was another script that he was working on. And like, as soon as they were get done or whatever, he would just be in his apartment and he was, he would think of himself as worthless and that he wasn't, you know, good enough. And I think he writes a letter to his wife at some point saying, you know, I, you know, I keep, I keep fucking up and all this. It's a, obviously a really tragic, uh, story, uh, when you hear about all the things that Belushi was going, but it really more paints the picture. Like, I think when I've heard of all the Belushi death stories, I've always heard, well, he was just having a grand old time and yeah. oh boy, he went too far. And it's not, wasn't like that. According to this documentary. Nah, it never is. It never is. That's why I, drugs piss me off. 
Mm-hmm. It's fucking drugs. Yeah, it's, it's called a speedball. I should know that because it was prominently featured in Eyes Wide Shut. But uh, <laughs> the, the speedball is the uh, combination of cocaine sex. and heroin. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Got what? There's sex time. in that? All right, everybody. It's time to talk about better help. Better help. Better help. Better help. I want to get real with you folks. Uh-oh. I'm not going to talk about myself in this one Uh-oh. because I've talked about myself and my journey. You guys don't care about my journey, or maybe you do, but I don't care right now. I want to talk about BetterHelp, the service itself. Online, accessible from many different devices, matches you up with a licensed counselor to go through a checklist of anything that you may be struggling with. Anger, depression, anxiety, uh, stress, uh, addiction, substance use, um, relationship issues, LGBT-related issues. Uh, This is all covered within BetterHelp's purview. You go to betterhelp.com slash sendcast. You log on. You go directly to a questionnaire, a questionnaire I used to give a lot of, What's going on with you? And man, I tell you, that first step is just like a revelation of like, I didn't even think about this before. Am I having trouble with this? Am I doing well with this? Uh, Once you get through that, it's only a few questions. They match you up with a licensed counselor um, and and they contact you within 24 to 48 hours and you're off and running. You have your own counseling room that nobody else besides you and your counselor can see. You can correspond with your counselor. You can set treatment dates or session dates. You can uh, go back and forth about sharing material like uh, checklists and worksheets and, and things like that or questionnaires. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. I cannot recommend it enough. This is the time to reach out to somebody if you're having any problems. Jeremy, do you agree? I do. Uh, and also, I was just going to touch briefly on the the fact of how BetterHelp makes therapy less scary. Um, <clears throat> people, yeah. Some people are scared of therapy. I, I understand it. It, it sounds, uh, I think, sometimes more frightening than it really is. Uh, in actuality, it's just, you know, a professional helping extract the real issues uh, mm-hmm. and then working through them and giving you tools to <clears throat> cope and overcome those issues. Uh, but a lot of what's scary about therapy is, you know, getting out, getting in your car, going to a strange building, sitting in a waiting room with other people who may or may not be looking at you, wondering what your problems are. Um, yeah. uh, and then sitting in a strange, weird smelling room um, with a couch uh, that's weird and having to bury your soul. Whereas how weird is this whole experience? There are souls souls to strangers online all the time on social media. I've got friends that I've made on Twitter that I've never met in real life that I talk to about anxiety and shit. And that's not scary to me. Um, you used to go on used to for about a hot minute. You used to go on that, uh, chat roulette site and chat for a few seconds with some stranger from around the world. With BetterHelp, it 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 should to most people feel like a safer way to share things that are bothering you, issues you're struggling with, uh, with uh, a stranger uh, because you're doing it from the comfort of your own home. 
Um, you can wear your freaking pajamas. Uh, you can do it on the phone. You can do it with video chat. You can do it with text. Uh, you're in charge. And um, you're always in charge of your own therapy's trajectory. But uh, with BetterHelp, that's even more the case. Yeah. And if ever there was a time to stick your ass at home, this, as we record December 8th, 2020, is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. I understand we all have to go out and do certain things, but to make you feel as comfortable as possible, you can log in to betterhelp.com slash sincast, get your therapy, your counseling, right? Cha. You don't have to sit in that waiting room full of germy germs and kids and people and weird smells and stuff like that. You can just get right on it and talk to your person. Man, they've got good people working there. I've met many of them, and I can't recommend this more. We can't recommend this more. We have recommended it to friends and family, along with our listeners. Uh, BetterHelp.com slash SINCAST will get you 10% off your first month. Use that month wisely. Use the crap out of it. I mean, just bug the crap out of your therapist, and they'll be fine with it because that's what they do. Go to BetterHelp.com slash SINCAST. And uh, start your journey today. All right, I got, I got a uh, recommend. I got a big old recommend. Hit me, hit me. Uh, I was, I was going to recommend Clampus, uh, because I just watched that and it's, it's delightful and I mm-hmm. like it. But mm-hmm. I rewatched uh, a movie that we've kind of gently derided uh, in this podcast over the years, and I have too. And I, uh, I thought about it. I was like, I want to go back and watch the Royal Tenenbaums. All right. Uh, the Wes Anderson movie, 2001. So this is maybe his third, fourth movie, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore. Uh, yeah, it's his third. Uh, third movie, yeah. Because it came out in and, 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's got what what is now accepted as a regular Wes Anderson cast. But at the time... You know, after Rushmore, Rushmore had a good cast, but it didn't have an all-star cast. It didn't have Gene Hackman, Danny Glover, Angelica Houston, Ben Stiller, the Wilson brothers, Gwyneth Paltrow, Bill Murray, uh, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, and so this is a great ensemble piece. What I found is, by the way, the, the movie's absolutely genius. This is uh, maybe, uh, I know that we've talked a lot about Moonrise Kingdom as having the most heart of of these movies and i do love fantastic mr fox but this is his masterpiece i think rushmore is definitely up there too uh but it's it's before wes anderson gets real precious about his shit every shot is not centered in frame there are some uh all the dialogue is not stilted and deadpan there are some very emotional moments in this and it's about some serious shit but it's also hilarious and gene hackman I don't think has given a performance and I I don't mind saying this Gene Hackman. This is maybe his third best performance that I have ever seen after Mm. French connection and uh, the conversation Mm. and runaway jury is up there obviously too. Right. But this is, this is, uh, he's, he's the chamber (laughs) and the chamber. Yeah. Mm. Uh, desperate measures or whatever the fuck it is. Extreme measures. measures, God damn it. Um, so yeah, no, he's he's terrific. Uh, he's you know the patriarch of this family that gets estranged for twenty two years, and he comes back, and hijinks ensue. If you haven't checked it out, it's wonderful. He he is having so much fun because he's playing a guy that's all out of fucks to give. Mm-hmm. 
He uh, Angelica Houston raised their kids, played by Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, and uh, Luke Wilson, and they're all geniuses, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is married to Bill Murray, but uh, she doesn't want to get with him. She wants to get with Owen Wilson, but really she wants to get with her brother. But it's okay because she's adopted. So right, the, uh, but but there's there's great lines. It's it's almost like in Moonrise Kingdom where uh, there's just little funny subtle lines. In Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, by the way, who co-wrote this one, um, uh, in the dialogue where the dog dies in Moonrise Kingdom, and she's like, "Was he a good dog?" And the kid's like, "Who's to say?" Yeah, uh, it's a, it's the same thing here where uh, Gene Hackman uh, goes up to his grandkids who he's never really met, and uh, they they go up to him and they're like, "Who are you?" He's like, "You know who I am," that kind of thing, and he's like, "I'm sorry about your mother who died." And uh, she says, I'm sorry about your mother. She was a terribly attractive woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's the best that he could come up with. Um, uh, but this, uh, the, the music in this, the performances in this, the emotion in this, Luke Wilson has never been better. I'm very convinced. Uh, it is, I think, uh, up there with a the masterpiece. And I would encourage everyone to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy shaking his head. Um, Man, I hate this movie. <clears throat> Why do you hate it? Why do you hate it so much? I yeah. feel like it's the very moment he became precious, not before he became precious. And I think it's bleak and dour. Mm. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. I don't. Did you watch it once or a couple times? I've seen I, it I don't need to be pedantic about I've it. I've seen it three or four times. I don't uh-huh. think it has anywhere near the heart of a Rushmore or a Moonrise Kingdom or even Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, wow. I respect your opinion. And I know that Wes Anderson is uniquely divisive, even amongst his fans. They people <laughs> can't agree which ones they like or dislike. Um, so I th- it's totally fair that, and I may be the outlier here. I just, I can't stand that movie. I, have no, yeah. I, I, I may watch it again if it comes on just to see if you were right, but I doubt it. <laughs> I, I mean, it. you may be right, but I doubt that I will watch it again to see if you were, is what I'm saying. I just, <laughs> the movie's not my buddy. I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, but, uh, uh, I suggest that both of you find, the article about how Gene Hackman was such a prick on the set of that movie. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I've heard it, that. Yeah. Um, find that article because it's, it's really fun to read. I think most people are saying, yeah, he was such a dick, but still loved working with him and, oh. uh, and everything like that. I mean, I think you kind of have to be that way uh, about Gene Hackman, but uh, but yeah, he was, he was not, he, he's exactly the kind of the gruff characters that we, that we, uh, know from the screen, from what I understand, he doesn't suffer fools and that type of thing. I uh, saw a pretty funny story the other day, Leonardo DiCaprio was being interviewed and I guess mm-hmm. in the interview, he talked about how Scorsese sent him Leo to go get Daniel day Lewis to become part of, uh, gangs of New York. Because mm-hmm. at the time, Daniel Day-Lewis was retired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Leo convinced him to do the movie. And they were doing table reads and whatnot. And they, every morning, Leo was like, you know, we'd pass each other. And be like, you know, hey, Daniel. Hey, Leo. And it was like the first day of shooting, 
I walked by him in the morning and I said, hey, Daniel. And he went, Arr! and Leo says, and that's when I knew it was on. And he never <laughs> broke character from there to the end of the thing. Like, he had turned in to build a butcher. And uh, it's a pretty interesting read. I'll see if I can find that's it. That's hilarious. I, mean, I was just thinking, like, uh, you know, the only performances by him, and say what you want about the movie, he's terrific in the movie. Like, uh, I mean, maybe Hoosiers comes close. Unforgiven comes close to me. Mississippi Burning comes close, but I don't. I don't think he has as much range. Even though he's an irascible asshole in this movie, I don't think he has the range uh, in those movies that he has in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I love all those movies, uh, you know, The Firm. He's playing. I don't know. He's playing a pretty one note character. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think uh, I think it's good. Um. All right. Doing a roundup of uh, what we recommended and warned and everything. Jeremy recommended Just Mercy. Um. And uh, then, um, God. See, now this is this is going to be always always tough trying to remember everybody's. I reco- warned uh, Creed Two. Reco- warned Creed Two. Uh, I recommended the battle over citizen Kane. Uh, it's a documentary, um, uh, about the making and, uh, the clash over citizen Kane. Uh, also recommended Belushi documentary, which I believe is on showtime. And, uh, Barrett recommended the special episode of euphoria called Rue that they made, I guess, during COVID, uh, and, uh, has recommended the Royal Tannenbaums. So a lot of positivity today. Yeah, mm-hmm. look at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right, everybody, it is time to talk about movie once movie. again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. Um uh I uh I watched a movie called The Girl from Parma. Um, oh, I saw that on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a 1963 Italian film. Uh, starring Catherine, I don't know the last name, Catherine Spock, Spake, Spack, hmm. I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it's it's sort of her journey um, as a, I guess it's, I guess she's just turned 18 or she's 17. I don't know uh, what they don't, they don't give an age, but she's around that age. And like, she's so beautiful, so, so beautiful that like you know it, every guy in this movie wants her every time they run any, anytime a guy runs into her they want her and the, no. the the movie is sort of told uh in a past and present uh kind of thing and we we she comes to visit her um it's her mom's friend and her husband uh in this town of parma and uh and uh she ha- she's got this like uh i don't know she's got she's got these brunette locks but every time you see her in the past she's got she's a blonde and uh when it keeps when it goes back it shows sort of how her journey of how she got to parma meanwhile parma's got its own set of stories and everything that she's going through but um yeah she's 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 so beautiful that she gets uh she gets a guy who is uh going to the seminary to just to, to have sex with her basically oh no uh, and oh. uh and uh yes and uh yeah. and uh and uh she's she's just happy she happens to be like swinging uh out on a beach 
and uh and a, a guy who's a photographer uh like uh basically makes her a model for a while and uh and uh you know it's sort of her sort of her story as she gets up to to the point where she has to where she moves to parma or whatever and and uh it's just interesting watching watching her all the way through this because she is she's just gorgeous just uh i'm trying to come up with like a uh, a, a modern equivalent of what she looks like. The closest I could come up with is like Britney Spears or somebody like that. Hmm. Um, uh, but it really doesn't quite, quite do the, the description justice and everything. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a really funny movie, really well done. And I, I was getting towards the end of it. I was like, man, I might want to watch this one again. Like huh. shortly huh. after after this, and it, and it's rare that I see a a movie these days that I'm like want to see immediately after again, just because uh, it was it was so good. I wanted to watch it with the context of knowing what happens and everything. So yeah, the girl from Parma is on movie right now. Really, really good and recommend. Awesome, I like that. I like your your idea. I, I frequently do that, knowing the context. I did this with Watchmen, Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, that kind of thing. Where you're like, I know where this end, ends up, but I want to see the journey again. Mm-hmm. By the way, Parma, Italy is home to two classic food items. Prosciutto <laughs> di Parma. Oh, oh, oh I know is... rigatoni. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? You guys are talking about the foods. There is a point. <laughs> there's a point where this guy named uh, Nino, who's the photographer that uh, discovers her or whatever, uh, he goes to jail. And, and, uh, and she visits him in jail and he says, uh, he says, uh, you know, sort of catching up and she goes, I'm thinking about going to Parma and he goes, Oh yeah, Parma. That's where they have, and he starts listing off all these different foods that they're known. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They also are the home of Parmigiano Reggiano. I figured that. Mm-hmm. That's why I made the joke about the rigatoni. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, movie. Movie's awesome. Movie. Yeah. Movie has cinema, people, about Italy and things and stuff. I really, I, I love movie. I want, I want to inject it into my veins. Mm-hmm. I, I watched a movie on here that's, that's, that's a, that's a complex, difficult movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's called Liberté. Yeah. Uh, and it's a French movie, historical drama about cruising and fucking. Now, mm-hmm. I know it's uh, I know it's shocking for me to watch a movie about fucking. Mm-hmm. But no, uh, this fucking. one caught. Yeah, this one caught my eye. And it's a uh, it's it's about more than fucking. Uh, but on the on the face of it, there's a lot of weird fucking. So. Uh, a bunch of aristocrats are getting expelled from, I think it's Louis the Sixteenth, uh, his regime in mm-hmm. France, and so they're moving to Germany, and they're like, "All right, you know, we believe in free love and libertine values and anti-morality and anti-authoritarianism and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. And so they're cruising, they're cruising down to Germany, and they meet up with the Duke, uh, a kick-ass Duke. Uh, where uh, a German duke, where he's like, "Hey, man, there's some there's some shit going down tonight," and so they they stick out there, and then the rest of the movie, two hour movie, uh, rest of the movie takes place in this forest where uh, 
people just kind of like co-mingle. It's not an orgy. It's more spread out to where there's more like, you know, there's a couple of people here. There's a few people here. There's somebody in the carriage. There's somebody in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it, it's challenging to see what this all means. And it's by it's directed by a guy named Albert Serra, a uh, 45-year-old, I think, uh, Spaniard. And he's known as like a Gaspar Noé, enfant terrible, whatever. <laughs> I can never, never really settle on the pronunciation of that term. But mm-hmm. um, he he pushes the boundaries of vulgarity and uh, what you want to see, especially in historical context, like period pieces. And so this is definitely worth watching. It's very interesting. Uh, this is set in before 1776, so uh, in the in the 1770s, uh, and it shows how debauched people have always been. Uh, you think you've had weird fantasies like Randall Park in a diaper in office Christmas party? <laughs> wow, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, but did. no, people people have had weirder shit than you uh, since the beginning of time. Mm. So mm. anyway. That's 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 some of the stuff that you get in movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you can you can explore cinema in their thirty day lineup. They have a new film added every day, so you can't get sick of things because because they rotate. They put new stuff in, and it's at the top of the the page, and it's beautiful. Uh, and then they have a library where they've got a bunch of uh, films that they've had on the platform before. Uh, some they imported directly into the library. It's glorious. It's a streaming curated service. So you don't have to just kind of click around and be like, I don't know what I'm in the mood for. I I don't know if I want this. I don't want to do that. No, they they kind of push you into different directions and it explores and expands your mind. Mm-hmm. Go to Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash cinema sins. You get 30 days free ain't no catch ain't no catch here people 30 days a whole month free of beautiful cinema that you can explore and you can you can bathe in and stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. com slash cinema sends you're gonna love it baby just just trust just trust yeah chris you vouch for this right i do jeremy you vouch for this right i do you guys listen to us. We're not going to steer you wrong. It's free for the first month. I'm getting combative right now because if you haven't signed up, you should already <laughs> do it right now. I'm just kidding. I love you, but sign up for movie. <laughs> Movie.com slash cinema sense. Um, do we have any time for some questions? Yeah. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. I'm going to start with the new ones because the new ones get my uh, testes all tingly. Oh, nice. Love the. Po- yeah, right. Uh, love the podcast. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to th- say thanks for the recommend for Barry. Uh, I just finished season one and loved it. I'm also going through the other podcast that Chris and Barrett did with our buddy Mike. Yeah. I uh, can't wait to watch season two. I uh, fully recommend that. Question for the pod. What is the best or worst montage in any movie? Keep up the great work. Okay. One caveat. I don't think any of us came up with the worst because there's a no. lot of bad ones. But what are what are some of the best montages? I love this question. Yeah, I don't think there's very many worse because there's not many. I mean, the 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 those worst would be the ones where it would be nice to have uh, a little bit more information about how 
a person became awesome at doing this one thing that they're montaging or whatever they're doing. Uh, and then they just kind of skip over it or whatever. But, um, the best ones that I came up with, uh, team America has one that's basically <laughs> making fun of montages and it has that song, you know, um, I think it's just called montage. And, uh, <laughs> You're going to need a montage. Yeah. Montage. <laughs> it's like, and like, you know, every, every time we show them a little bit more improvement and so on and so forth, uh, or else the show would get too long. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I believe they had done this on South park before team America, uh, did it but uh it's still funny as hell watching him because he's got to go through his training montage and everything um ups opening uh sequence uh montage which uh um uh, shows oh, the yeah. the life and death of uh you know uh the 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 dude's uh wife um at the beginning of it uh let me ask really you this is that the only reason to watch up it's funny that you mentioned that because there's another question in which I bring up this very thing. So maybe we'll answer that question. If we don't answer gotcha. that question, I'll have the discussion with you. Um, okay. <laughs> but I bring this up in a later question. Um, uh-huh. uh, and then I also have the naked gun on here where they have that love montage. They have that, that when, when, uh, Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley are first starting to like date and everything. And, you know, they're squirting each other with mustard and ketchup and all that. But the funniest thing about that fucking montage is them coming out of a theater laughing and the theater is playing platoon. Yeah. That's the funniest <laughs> fucking thing ever. What is the song? Is it something tells Herman, me I'm into something good? Herman's Hermits. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> into something good or whatever. Uh, something tells me I'm into something good. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder what the age difference is between Leslie Nielsen or was between Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley. Well, you know, uh, Priscilla Presley, I believe was about 40. Maybe was she really? Bit, she was in the 30s, maybe late 30s. She looked great. Uh, yeah, she did. She did. Uh when when she did that. So, uh Leslie Nielsen probably was I mean, it was probably a good 20 years. I would imagine it was about mm. a good, good 20 mm. years there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. All right. Um <clears throat> uh are you done? Was that all your montages? I am, I'm done. You guys can go with your montages now. I just wanted to really I just wanted to use this opportunity to try and get people to watch Moneyball. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Moneyball has a, a couple of great montages, uh, especially at the end when they're on the, what they, there's a whole section of the movie with a title card where they call it the streak uh, or mm-hmm. an absurd winning streak to end up making the playoffs. Um, but there's a montage just before that where <clears throat> what Billy Bean is trying to teach these players is finally starting to click and you see these, this montage of him in various locations in the facility and on the field, like working with players and teaching them. And you see, like, there's even a shot of Chris Pratt going, you know, I could even take a few strikes, but I'd get on base more. And it's just like the, the message of how they're trying to play baseball is starting to click. Mm-hmm. And it, the music is awesome. And then it stops and there's no music. And you see Brad Pitt with these old man glasses and he's looking at these numbers on his computer screen. And they don't mean anything to you. And he's looking at these numbers. And then it just kicks right back in and you hear an announcer go, <laughs> the Oakland A's are completely out of hand right now. And the music swells back up and there's a second <laughs> half of that montage. Uh, I love that beat. I don't know why. It just feels like, I don't know. It feels like 
like the heart of the movie almost because that's that's what Billy Bean is doing is he's he's chasing this mathematical thing that he believes is a certainty uh and even amidst the noise of the team swelling and doing well he's still in some room looking at these numbers trying to make mm-hmm. sure it's all gonna line up anyway yeah. those montages rule that was my pick that's a that's a great organic performance my favorite part is not a montage but my favorite part of the whole movie could go completely overlooked is where he's walking by the locker room after they lost and you can barely hear anything barely and then he he, he stops and he goes back and he opens it up, and Giambi's up there, like, partying with his fucking, like, dick out or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he just says, fuck him. We're trading him. And everybody's like, what? That's <laughs> our only good player? What the fuck, man? And it's just, like, a moment, a second, where he turns around, and that really kickstarts the whole thing. It's before that montage, I think. Uh, I love that movie. I uh, I love I love the shit out of Moneyball, too. And I... And here's an interesting uh, thing I go through, though, every time I watch that movie. Uh, that scene where they're on that big, huge winning streak and they're up like, you know, 14 to nothing or whatever when Billy Bean is driving down the road and they, and he turns around and everything. I have mixed feelings about that scene, even though I love it. I love it unconditionally. Uh, but the way that it's done drives me crazy sometimes just because of the ebbs and flow of baseball itself. Yeah. And, and so like the way they portray that game as, you know, I think it's the angels they're playing or who who are coming back on them. I can't remember who, what teams be is, uh, is actually coming back in this 14 to nothing, whatever game, but there's a lot of like, really like, like fits and starts and like overly dramatic, uh, like beats to it. And, and a lot of like, uh, you know, it, uh, loud crowd cheering, nothing silence, loud crowd, you know, and, and and there's a lot of that going on in that scene. It's like, it's one of those things I love unconditionally, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know, like movie wise, is this the best way they could have done that? Well, and that's you're talking about when he turns around and comes back to the the game to actually watch it in person. Saying all this time that it's bad luck for him, or he doesn't watch games, and they're on this 20 game winning streak, and he's on the road, and they call, and whoever calls him, and and he's like, "Come on, man, I don't want to hear about this or whatever." He's like, "No, dude, we're up 12 nothing or whatever." And so he turns around, and as soon as he does, and gets into the ballpark, that's when everything starts going turning around. and uh, and they actually like they get it tied and everything. And then of course Scott Hatterberg, played by Chris Pratt, hits that big home run, which makes me always go to YouTube and find the real one. Uh, oh, I, I need to do yeah. that. I've never and, done uh, that. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I don't like the way it makes the movie strongly suggests. I think that they start losing in Billy's mind because Billy came back to watch. Right. And that's extremely frustrating and very easy timing for a screenwriter to, to do. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and there are plenty of things about this movie that are fictionalized. Uh, and I yeah. always figured that was one of them. Whereas the score, I think, is actually what the score was in that game in real life. So mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, uh, Moneyball rules. All right. Well, I'll, I got to put the, uh, you know, after I answered this, I don't know if it counts necessarily as a montage i don't even know how montage is defined in cinema you know you you obviously have to cut back and forth between different time periods and different 
uh, locations. But this is all in one time period. I believe all it uh, means is just there's a number of different locations and and actions happening all in one uh, space. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it necessarily even means uh, a huge amount of time has passed. I think it just means you are showing uh, three or four different uh, scenarios in a in a quick paced manner. I see. Well, to, to me, the top of the list, unsurprisingly, is the Godfather, uh, the baptism scene, oh, it's where he takes phenomenal. out the heads of all the, the five families. And I, I love how this builds uh, because uh, you see Clemenza getting ready, uh, just like putting his stuff on and that kind of thing. And you're like, OK, but, you know, it looks like Michael's kind of turned a corner. He's married to Kay. He's going to be uh, he's going to the baptism. He's going to be Godfather, Connie's baby. Uh, and like, I, you know, everything's cool. And then you see the, the, uh, Chi Chi, uh, getting ready for something. And then you see the guy dressing in a police uniform. I don't even know mm. who this guy is. And you're like, mm. What's the, uh, what um, the fuck's going on? Isn't that the guy who, uh, is, um, oh God, they, they, they do introduce that guy though. Right. Like that young guy that plays the police. I believe so. I forget his He's name. Either, like new, um, like not capo, but maybe he is a capo. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. I don't know, I'll look it up, but, uh, you know, and, and then you start and it's this amazing Latin prayer that the, the priest is saying, and you hear the, the pipe organ in the background, uh, and, and then it stops. Uh, then he says, Michael, do you renounce Satan? And he's like, I do renounce him. And then the bloodshed strong. <laughs> he's locked in a fucking revolving door. And then he gets on the elevator. Boom. Clemenza blows his head off. And then fucking Mo Green's getting a massage. He puts on his glasses. Boom. Right in the fucking eye. It's so right. He's like, do you, do you, do you choose to be God? He's like, do you renounce him? It's a fucking free for all. It's fucking awesome. The seventies violence, man, is there's nothing more brutal than that. I don't think there's something, there's something about seventies violence. That's just, that's crazy. I mean, it's I I don't know what it is. It's not the blood. The blood's fake. It's fuck in the seventies, but the, yeah, it is. the sort of the blunt force of all the stuff that's happening is just, uh, you know, filmmakers were just like, fuck it. Let's just show, let's just show how violent this is. You know, no, well, it's no so great because you see, uh, you see, uh, Tatalia and you see the other and Barzini and you see all the other, the Dons, the New York Dons get off and you're like, okay, I kind of get this. But then Mo Green who dares like Mo Green is, is standing in, by the way, I read about Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, uh, was, was kind of the Mo Green, of Las Vegas in real life. Like he owned the sands and like all the big hotels out there. Uh, and so Mo green is kind of an afterthought. He's in one scene essentially. And he denies Michael, Michael, I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, you too, man. Yeah. Why are you getting a massage? It's so mm-hmm. good. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and I got to go throw some love. I think I had another one, but I don't care. Uh, uh, I got to give some love about uh, Victor Kipardu's speech in uh, uh, Rules of Attraction. Mm-hmm. So I went back and watched that again, and it's it's so deadpan about like you can you can't even tell where he takes breaths. Yeah, and it's just like you know I met this girl in Germany. Uh, uh, she let me suck her toes. We fucked. And then I took some masculine and got lost on the subway for the whole day. <laughs> Couldn't yeah. find no way out. Yeah. It's, it's the most abolished trip ever, but also like it's so deadpan that it's such a juxtaposition. It's so great. Now it's got some, 
a very Brett Easton Ellis type dialogue that doesn't play today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, like uh, some guys that were that were following him around and giving him rides and stuff like that. But he is much like everybody in a Brett Easton Ellis uh, based movie. He's a terrible person. He, this, this is this is a terrible trip for everybody involved except for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it's so funny. They they do they do something similar in Boogie Nights. Uh, you know, I mean, the, not the montage, but just the deadpan about like some things that you normally don't deadpan about. You know, like they have that scene in Boogie Nights where Ricky Jay is like, "All right, so then uh, Candy and or no, it's William H Macy. It's like, all right, so Candy and Jimmy come in and uh, and then Bobby walks in and then they fuck." And then uh, they go over, uh, and then we have the scene set up where uh, Jimmy comes in and meets and meets uh, 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 Jerry, and and she gives him a blowjob. And you know, you, just, you, know. <laughs> you know, that's how that is, though, man. Oh, I sure. to before I die. I think I'd like to go to a porn set and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just see what's going on because you think about like. Even the performance, yeah, the performances are not stellar. They're not Oscar quality. But you also got a camera in your face by probably some like sweaty dude that's baking in the the lights and everything. And you got all these cables around. And then you got a dude like thrusting on top of you. And and he's probably all sweaty. And then you get the director just kind of like sitting in the chair like, okay, move over there. We got to get uh, an angle of the anus. I think you and, are and vastly overestimating the scale of porn productions. <clears throat> I think I, you have to have dude, like three the director and the cameraman are all the same person. Uh, <clears throat> there's probably more than one in an average, not like amateur or whatever, but like an average professional porn shoot. There's probably two or three cameras, right? Oh, I don't know, man. I don't I, think there's, I, I mean, I probably think, I wouldn't think, I think it's all single cam. Well, I'll report back as soon as I go to the Valley there you go. and check it okay. out. Sweet. com. On the back of Chris's Warn a few episodes ago, what are some films that you've gone in trying to figure out the twist but not been able to? Or conversely, ones that had a twist you weren't even looking for. Uh, generally, I just try to enjoy the movie without trying to figure things out, uh, unless it's a mystery slash thriller. Uh, so if there's a twist I didn't see coming, it clearly wasn't well disguised. I agree with this. I generally try to kind of roll with it um, unless I'm really trying to uh, figure something out because the movie demands it. What do you guys yeah. think? The, uh, the, the one that I want, there, there were two, I weren't looking for twist in uh, was a, was the quiet American. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the quiet American. Ooh, um, I did. But, um, I forgot all got about it though. Michael Caine and Brendan Fraser. And I think that um, I don't remember too much about it. Um, I know the movie's been made a couple of times it's based on a, a popular book or whatever. Uh, but, um, I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember Michael Caine's revelation that Brendan Fra- that he was observing, uh, Brendan Fraser and he could tell that he could speak Vietnamese like it was his native language. And, mm. and this is something where I don't think we're supposed to know that Brendan Fraser is like a CIA operative yet. Um, and so, uh, at the, at that point, Michael Caine is telling somebody this story and he's like, and he's like, I was watching him and, and, and he was speaking Vietnamese. 
He was speaking it like it was his native language. And it's like this big, you know, oh, this guy's been fucking everything up. He's been like setting up this. I think he's setting up like a a secret war with a different kind of like uh, a group of like mercenaries or something like that while he's out there. Um, and, uh, and that's something that we don't know about Brendan Fraser's character the entire time. And I don't think I was even conscious of there being a, uh, surprise of that nature in the movie. Um, and then, uh, rules of attraction, uh, strangely enough has uh, a moment, uh, uh, where we find out who's been giving the love notes to James Vanderbeek in Mm. the movie. Uh, then it shows, and the movie is really cool about how it shows this character in the background of a lot of scenes. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, unfortunately she, she kills herself, um, by the end of it. But, uh, but, uh, he thinks that, uh, Shannon Sossaman is the one that's been sending him the, the love, the love notes this whole time. And, and, uh, they, they're operating on these assumptions every time they run into each other. And, uh, and, but then we find out later that she, you know, the girl who's been sending them, he, he's been ignoring the entire time. And, uh, they do have a a segment there where they show that. So I thought those were, those were good surprises. Good job. I like those. I think the best Mm -hmm. twists are the ones Mm -hmm. when you're not expecting a twist, obviously. Um, when you have detective stories, murder mysteries, and kind of built in that you're trying to guess the twist. Mm -hmm. Um, But Black Swan is a good example of one that, I did not guess any kind of twist was even coming. I was just watching a movie. Mm. And at the end, during that final thing, when everything is sort of revealed, I was surprised by that. Um, But I watched a movie yesterday that I had to to find a way to talk about. I squeezed it in as an answer to this question because I tried to guess the twist and it it was impossible because this movie is so fucking bad. Um, <laughs> it's called Perfect Stranger, and it stars uh, Halle Berry, and it came out in two thousand. Yeah, it does. I'm pretty sure. Yes, I've it does. This movie, but I don't remember anything about it. Oh my god! Um, Bruce Willis is in this movie. Giovanni Ribisi is in this movie. Um, Halle Berry reconnects with an old childhood friend, and this childhood friend Grace says, "I need your help to expose Bruce Willis, big businessman, uh, <laughs> for all this evil shit he's doing." Mm-hmm. and Halle Berry is a journalist convenient and um, she says sure I will help you and then before uh, she can Grace her friend gets murdered mm-hmm. and so Halle Berry teams up with Giovanni Ribisi another reporter tech guy and they decide to investigate Bruce Willis and they're going to take him down for the murder mm-hmm. of Grace mm-hmm. and uh, like one of the first scenes within the 30 minutes Halle Berry's having sex with some guy in her apartment and it pans long and slow over to show that fucking Giovanni Ribisi is standing in there listening to her fuck this dude. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, maybe Giovanni Ribisi was a bad guy, right? Not a good guy if he's just eavesdropping on sex. Um, <clears throat> anyway, back to the, the main plot. Halle Berry gets a job as an intern um, at Bruce Willis's company, sparks his eye, flirts with him, and... He suspects her of being a spy from a rival business company. And so she finally has to admit, I was, because he's going to fire her. And then they have dinner, and he wants to take, he wants to take her out to dinner. Um, well, yeah. And she's getting closer, right? She's getting closer. But then there's this, this scene where she goes to Giovanni Ribisi's house, and, 
and he's not there, but the door's open and she goes inside and she hears her own voice saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. She's like, what? She follows the sound of her voice and she finds Giovanni Ribisi's sex room where he's got these computers <laughs> with her, her picture on a torso of a mannequin and then the computers are like uh, Grace, her friend from childhood, fucking some dude. And you're like, what? Why? It's Giovanni Ribisi. And she's all scared. And then he's like, no, no, no. I'm not the killer. I'm just a weird sex pervert. And so they decide to continue working together. And they, they get Bruce Willis arrested. He goes to trial and he is convicted. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, it was Bruce Willis all along, right? And then Giovanni Ribisi comes over to Halle Berry's house in the final scene and he's picked up on a couple of things and the truth is revealed that grace the childhood friend well she had witnessed childhood Halle Berry and her mother kill and bury in the backyard an abusive father yep and she was now in modern day threatening with this secret murder knowledge to blackmail Halle Berry so Halle Berry is the one that killed her childhood friend grace Right? <laughs> right, and there should not be any reason for this movie to exist. Why did she start an investigation <laughs> into Bruce Willis about her friend's murder if she was the goddamn killer? Right, so they're they're about to embrace a Giovanni Ribisi makes that I've just been stabbed off you know, off screen face, and it pulls back, and Halle Berry had stabbed him, and he <laughs> falls down to the ground bleeding. And she feels bad because he's just a sex pervert. He wasn't a killer. And he was a friend. <laughs> she lays down to cuddle with him, and the camera slowly pans up to show you one of her neighbors was looking out his window and saw all of this. Dun, oh. dun, dun. <laughs> wow, that's and like I, five twists. I got to tell you, man, like somebody, I mean, it was directed by James Foley. Um, I looked him up. I can't yeah, remember James- what it was. James Nobody Foley did, uh, did uh, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, and he That's did right. Glengarry uh, Glen Ross uh, at close range. But he also did uh, like uh, was it one of the Fifty Shades movies he did? Was oh, I think one? you're right. I think you're right. Um, anyway, the somebody, the screenwriter, the direct somebody was going for something. They thought they had something here. Is and- this the movie where uh, there? There's I. I'm trying to remember because there's a lot of a twisty Halle Berry, Berry thrillers. <laughs> um, but there's a scene where I think she goes to the computer and the autofill fills out something that she's already looked at or whatever. And so that was a clue, an early clue in the movie that she was the killer because when she's typing it, uh, that autofill shows something that she was searching for or whatever. Really? Um, yeah. I'm, I, it may be some other, it might be some other uh, Harry Berry thriller. Though. There's still no reason for her no. to do a whole investigation and go to work at Bruce Willis's company and try and spy on his computer shit and then eventually get him convicted. There's no reason for that. She's not a None. suspect. She's not. A suspect at all she puts herself into oh god this movie frustrated yeah. the shit out of me it was like they got to the end and they were like what would nobody expect <gasps> she was the killer let's do that yeah god. yeah this is a, a full-on war even though we're not in that war section anymore we're doing questions i, I did not right. see any of those twists coming because those twists are frankly stupid and ludicrous <laughs> yep yep <laughs> maybe she maybe she's crazy man perfect stranger wow wow yeah. 
Balky Bartokamus is not in this one. Nope. No, there's, it's, it's a singular. It's not. It's perfect stranger. There's mm-hmm. no. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, uh, I just have uh, two. Uh, I I think I knew uh, who who done it in Knives Out. Uh, even though nobody, everybody's obvious, but nobody's obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the poster that I have of Knives Out is the tagline is "Hell, any of them could have done it," which is true. But <laughs> I had a, an idea of who did this. Uh, didn't know how. Uh, and that was very pleasurable to figure out the how of it, even though the, the movie kind of tries to misdirect you on to uh, who this might be. <clears throat> uh, but uh, yeah, I am saving the spoiler just in case you haven't seen Knives Out. If you haven't seen Knives Out, fucking see Knives Out. It's fucking mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I gotta say that the end of Clue is one of the most unique endings i've ever seen especially to a murder mystery uh where even when i saw it at probably eight years old something like that uh i was 10 years old something around there i was like what because they go one way and they're like all right could make sense fine and then the title card comes out well that's what could have happened but here's what also could have happened. And then he go into the whole Mrs. Peacock thing. And that ends. And Wadsworth is with the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover and shit like that. And you're like, oh, well, all right. And Mrs. Peacock, no, here's how it really happened. And everybody murders everybody. And mm-hmm. that's just such a satisfying ending. It's so hilarious. Everybody gets to shine, especially in that last sequence. That's where the famous flames on the side of my face, Madeline Kahn thing mm-hmm. is. Uh, and it's delightful. So I'd say Clue. If you haven't seen Clue, for God's sakes, watch that shit. By the way, I'm going to make what I believe is the first ever connection between Perfect Stranger and Clue. Ooh. Okay. Was reading uh, some trivia on Perfect Stranger, and this is probably the reason why Halle Berry ends up being the killer. Uh oh. The filmmakers filmed three different endings to the film, each with a different character as the killer. God damn it! <laughs> which which means they that means that the movie can if the movie Clue is doing a funny thing. Uh, Perfect Stranger, if you can make a an ending where three different people are the fucking killer, then you are you don't have a really good movie. You uh, haven't written a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet they probably did one with Bruce Willis as the real killer and one with uh, Giovanni Ravisi as the real killer. But mm-hmm. still, yeah. I mean, I'm no filmmaker. I am a writer, an amateurish one, but know what story you're telling. But, like, what story are you telling? If you if you film three different endings just to see which one plays best with the test audiences, you didn't really have a story to tell. Yeah, that's I agree. The other part of this too is that the film's original setting was New Orleans during pre-production Hurricane Katrina struck. Yikes. The script was quickly rewritten to take place in New York City. So mm-hmm. who knows what else uh, was going on? A lot of stuff filmed in uh, Louisiana. Apparently, they have very good tax breaks for uh for filming locations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the first two days i was in las vegas my current home on a movie channel i watched casino then the next night on tmc the original oceans 11 was on my question is what movies have you watched that uh somewhat portray you in the moment that you were in um also barrett who reads these aloud on the podcast you're wrong about pre-2014 jay-z fuck you dude oh <laughs> Oh. Fuck you. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I love you. I just don't like pre twenty. Beyonce was overrated. So mm -hmm. <laughs> we're we're hard on the Carters today. Yes. Um, anyway, so what are some some movies that portray uh, what you were in uh, that's kind of surprisingly worked that synchronicity in? Yeah. Um, when I watched Dazed and Confused, the uh, you know the night this was the night before. I was supposed to uh, go go to my high school and and to get into this club, you had to do all these embarrassing things in front of people and stuff. Like you had to like, uh, you know, if if the senior told you you had to uh, uh, get up on the table in the cafeteria and sing something, you had to do it. You know, if you had to do some weird shit with whipped cream, whatever, um, <laughs> um, you had to do these type of things to get into the club. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's, the, there's a lot of things that you can do with whipped cream and it always yeah, seems to involve getting into clubs. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't even remember what this club was called and I don't even think, I don't even remember doing anything within this club at all, but I do remember having that I was going to have to do this the night before watched dazed and confused at the Franklin cinema. And, uh, there's a bunch of hazing shit that goes on in oh, the, in yeah. the very beginning of it where, you know, the, the girls all have to do like really demeaning fucked up things and the guys are all getting paddled. Nothing to that extent going on the next day at, at my high school, but <laughs> the paddling it, of the swollen asses. <laughs> yes. With paddles. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, so like, yeah, it was kind of interesting to watch dazed and confused the night before, because it almost made it, made me feel like, huh, well, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to yeah. be, a, it was kind of a good primer, uh, for what I was going to have to do the next day. So, uh, so that was, uh, that was one. And then, uh, and then this is very general, but the movie clerks came out when i was you know working uh concessions at uh movie theater mm -hmm. and everything and all the little things that they say in there about customers and, and it, it's i mean anybody who's ever had to deal with customers in their life totally are down with what they're saying in clerks so, you know the this job would be fucking great if it wasn't for the fucking customers <laughs> you know? uh, that's a good you know, montage right there too Actually, yeah. it's the uh, when they're going back and forth about the the uh, what it's is this movie any good? And then what is it? Uh, how <laughs> what was the the movie's uh, rental place where she's like, how much is this or something like that? It's yeah, a bunch so of the, like price tags around. So the, yeah. So Dante's like, I uh, get all these stupid customers who come in and the guy, one guy's like, it's like, what do you mean? There's no ice. You mean I have to drink this coffee hot? And uh and then, uh, then the, yeah, do you know how much this is, uh, how much these cost? And there's like all these signs behind it that say 99 cents and everything. <laughs> and then, uh, and then somebody has this really bizarre off the wall, uh, question, uh, you know, do you have this or whatever? And then it's the same people at the video store. You know, he's like, yeah. Ooh, Navy <laughs> seals. And, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if you have a movie for a, for a three-year-old child who chronically wets his bet, you know, stuff. Like <laughs> I write a lot of sins about, uh, a fictionalized, uh, college ex-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, what? And, 
this is uh, an amalgamation of I didn't have very many good relationships in college. Um, and I, the Sins character likes to blame the girl for all of it. Although I think a lot of those Sins poke fun at me too. Uh, <clears throat> but, um, you know, relationships are two people things, right? Uh, like, you know, usually falls Sometimes apart because of both people, except for when you get cheated on. Um, <clears throat> so I had a college girlfriend that cheated on me. Um, was uncomfortably upfront about it. Um, <laughs> and, um, we took about a week off and then we decided we were going to, we were going to try to keep our relationship together, uh, despite this. And this was happened to be with the guy that I was really good friends with. Um, <clears throat> so one of the ways we decide to, to regroup is we're going to take a, a long weekend and go home to my house she could meet my folks and we can be away from college and the campus and all our friends and work on our relationship. So we get there and we rent a movie. Bridges of Madison County is the movie mm. we because mm. it was the most popular movie being rented at that time. Uh, it had come out the summer before and um, was a big hit. And this movie, as I like to say about some movies is all about adultery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about like the, these people finding letters that prove their mom had this torrid affair and they always thought she was in love with their dad only. And that is the most uncomfortable movie watch I've ever had in my whole life. Because every time somebody (laughs) would mention anytime, even adultery was hinted at, but certainly every time they're like making out and shit, it was like, uh, like I felt like she knew that I was mentally saying, yeah, this is you, you did this. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, was it just you and her? Yes. Um, yes, we should have rented like, I don't know, um, something like, I don't know, something good. Blizzard of Oz. Candle shoe. We didn't know anything about this movie. You know, we just, oh, everybody loves this movie. It made all this money and it's Clint Eastwood, whatever. And a book that was basically, what? A book that was on the bestseller list for like 140 weeks or whatever it was. And so, you know, had I known the movie was going to shove a knife into our very recent relationship wound and swirl it around for a while, I wouldn't have watched it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was, the, that was the best and most obvious answer I had to this question is that uh, I was in the middle of a little bit of a kind of an infidelity scenario myself when I watched this movie. So. And then you guys watched The English Patient? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, but uh, say it would have been the same kind of experience had The English mm-hmm. Patient been something we watched uh, yep. at that time. Yep. Did you uh, stay with her for very much longer after that? Oh Jesus! Um, only for her to only long enough for her to cheat on me with the same guy again. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh no! And, and and at that point, it was done. Uh, and in hindsight, oh, I no. could have, should have had more hand. Oh <laughs> no! That's not. That's not good. No. Uh, I also had a bunch of uh, break. Are you done? I am done. Yes. Yes. I also had a lot of breakup movies. I had a horrible breakup right around uh, the end of the century. And anything that ended it with a with a with a bad breakup or someone being hit by a car while uh spread eagling on a bike mm-hmm. uh, going down a highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what specific movie I would be talking about. Uh, <laughs> those used to get me. <laughs> oh, I just got a cramp. Oh, <laughs> but also, like, uh, when I started working at the psych hospital in 20, 2002, um, 
I had gotten over all that shit and I was ready for the the new shit. And as soon as I started working in there, the wholly unique experience. I wish everybody could have that for, you know, at least a month or so. Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, started playing on like TCM or whatever was TCM, AMC probably, uh, hmm. back in those days when they showed American movie classics. And so it was weird to uh, juxtapose my experience uh, onto the 1960s psychiatric experience. <clears throat> um, but, so that was very, very cool. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I first met, introduced myself very, very briefly to John Nash. Uh, at around that time when A Beautiful Mind came out, mm-hmm. which was, what was it, Chris, 2003 uh, that it came out? 2001, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was right after it, it premiered in Nashville. Uh, I met him and uh, I took him around uh, the psych hospital, and he was commenting on how it was much more improved than what he had gone through, and that's that's very, very true, and you can see that in one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Also, when I was in Chicago at Northwestern, we had a call with John Nash before he uh, unfortunately passed away and a beautiful mind came on that night. So I was like, wow, that's very, very weird that I'm watching Russell Crowe portray this dude that I just talked to on the phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those were my weird uh, things in, in the psych field, but mostly it's the breakup stuff and the, uh, the, 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 the people that die. And and shit. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is on there, even though it's much later. That one always gets me choked up because yeah. it, it's it's uh, it's just so fucking well done, man. That's one of the most perfect movies I've seen like in the last 15, 20 years or so. It's just so good. It's a it's a trope in movies, right, where people break up and then like every song that they hear on the radio has something to do with breakups. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's like Joe lies, Joe <laughs> lies when he cries. <laughs> That'll never be me. That'll never be me. The, anyway. the it reminds me that one of the most inappropriate. It's hilariously darkly inappropriate in To Die For when Matt Dillon gets uh, killed and they go to the funeral and and Nicole Kidman uh, comes up there and presses play on like a boom box. And it's an all, it's like all by myself is what she (laughs) (laughs) plays. And everybody's just like, they, there's no way to like, you know, remedy this because they're at a funeral. They want to be respectful because they think she cares. And <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Uh, that's going to do it uh, for this week. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. We're on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find a link on the right side there, or you can private message me on Facebook. And I will give you a link there. And we're also on SoundCloud. Um, that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. It was more like three hours. He was like, so, you ready? (laughs) Right. Yeah.
he was doing the thing that uh that eric in that 70s show was doing with donna where it was like where they hadn't had sex yet and they like i guess they almost do or whatever and then he keeps asking her like all right are you are you okay are you gonna are you ready now she's like no and he's like all right all right are you ready now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sitting on the bed on. at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's either the bed or the car. I can't remember. But they, but, but he, but he, but he, like every time he's like, "All right, all right, all right." Yeah, I, I see what you. What about now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where uh, Harry Styles fit into all that stuff because it was. Uh, who was first? One of the Kennedys is in there too, right? Mm. Mm. Jeremy knows all this. Uh, she dated uh, some kind of Kennedy cousin, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know all this. I don't know why you say this. Um, she... well, there's definitely Jalen Hall. There's definitely Mayor. There's definitely Calvin Harris. There's definitely Tom Hiddleston. There's definitely Joe Alwyn. There's definitely Harry Styles. There's definitely. No Bieber, no Bieber, no Bieber, no um, <laughs> Bieber. There's definitely Kanye. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's just Google it. No, let's let's. We, we've already lost like 39 minutes. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! With, yeah. with, there's probably a whole like uh, separate Wikipedia page entry for Taylor Swift. I'm uh, sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it, bitch. Hey, so. <laughs> I've been meaning to send you over a couple of songs that I heard on XMU uh, that are fantastic. Have you guys heard this Cautious Clay song, Cold War? Um, there was a Cautious Clay song a year and a half ago that I fucking love. I don't think I've heard this one. He's he's a bad motherfucker, man. <laughs> and then uh, Blue to Tiger, who I'd heard before, uh, the female uh I shouldn't say pop singer, like chillcore, I guess, singer uh, called Figure It Out, which is badass. Hmm. So I'll send those over to you. You should totally listen to I them. was meaning to send – I was going to send over a song I heard that I don't know that has caught on, but it was like one of those – not critical cut, but like uh, advanced placement kind of things. And it's basically uh, AWOL Nation mm-hmm. and Group Love. Yeah. Oh. T- together? I don't even know if I like the song, but I have never heard a team-up that sounded 100% like both groups. It sounds exactly like an AOL Nation song and exactly like a group love song. I it's may have heard this song. Thing. I may have heard this song once, but I don't remember everything. I just remember the other night when I was going to sleep, I heard a, a song and I was like, that sounds like group love, but I, I can't, I can't, I'm not sure. <clears throat> and no, uh, yeah, I didn't ever look. I didn't ever look it up. So, didn't you play me a bunch of tracks from Group Love one time, Chris? Like mm-hmm. on the way to poker or something like that? Uh, I played. Well, when we drove to Atlanta, I played uh, Group Love for both of you. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that. I really uh, enjoyed that. Quite they a had bit. just recently come out with that one album that has the "Welcome to Your Life." Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> I, we can be your fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I like oh, those guys. yeah. Yeah. All right. So I it see. sounds like uh, both groups, huh? Go ahead and click it. Give it a 30 second listen. I don't care. That no talent hack. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Dude, I came down uh, when I met with you guys, when I had uh, Chef Dave come down with me in uh, 2015, something like that. I was like, because I loved Chicago, but I, I came down, I was showing him all the sites in Nashville. I was like, I got to move back here. <laughs> like It was just like a feeling of like, I I got to get back here. And there's just a weird thing. So I understand it. I understand it. Alfred Molina is p- coming back for the next Spider-Man movie as Doc, Doc Ock again. Doc Ooh. Octor. <laughs> so we've got Doc Ock from the Tobey Maguire. Jamie Foxx's Electro from the Andrew Garfield. At this point, is there any question that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are coming back? No. I don't like that. I no, don't like there's that. no question. I don't. I don't. Uh, they may not be signed yet, um, but that's got to be the plan, right? You wouldn't bring back the villains from the other series. Well, no. Uh, but they also put in J.K. Simmons as the J. Jonah Jameson at the end of that last one before they even had did. That's true. Um, but, That's true. But I, I agree with you with this casting, this specific casting, where they have all these people from different uh, iterations of uh, Spider-Man's. Um, that, uh, that That's probably where they're headed, especially after the success of Multiverse. Well, yeah, Exactly. Uh, and with J. Jonah Jameson, you could at least argue they said to themselves, nobody else can play this character. But you can't do that with Jamie Foxx's Electro. You can't right. say they want, to t- they want to put Electro in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, but no one could ever play that character better than Jamie Foxx did. <laughs> Got to get him back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very clear multiverse thing going on here. And I would be shocked at this point if the other two Spider-Men did not show up. <clears throat> and you know what? I don't think this movie is going to be very fun for me. For me personally, no. it's going to oh, be a I don't cameo like fest and a big camera pans over, bump, bump, music beat, and everyone's going to roar, and I'm going to put my penis away and leave halfway through. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> my wife uh, pronounces it Spiderman. 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 Like, like, like it's his last name. <laughs> like he's. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole <laughs> like bit on Friends about this. Where are you he, serious? Yes, where Phoebe calls it Spiderman, and he's like, it, Chandler's like, it's it's not his name. It's not like Gold. <laughs> are you serious? It's Sp- Spider Man, and because <laughs> there's no Gold Man, there should be a Gold Man. Anyway, <laughs> that's hilarious. Wow, we had a conversation that was exactly like that without knowing that that existed. That's awesome. <laughs> wow, I was like Spider Man. Like that's his last name. <laughs> Reminded me of an old. Uh, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> this <laughs> there was a <laughs> there was a growing pains episode where uh, Alan Thick was chastising uh, Mike Seaver, and uh, I like it when I say the actor's actual name and then the character's name, so it right. sounds all weird multiverse. But uh, he was he was he was cheating. Mike was cheating. Kirk Cameron, yeah, he was cheating. And Alan Thick was like, "Oh, you you got caught cheating." He was like, "No, no, no, I wasn't doing anything." He's like, "You said that the last time when you said your name was Severman so that you could get all the Jewish holidays off." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kirk Cameron! What's that? Is Alan, Alan Thick still alive? Right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he is. His son is a, did did the thing. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, he was. He came and went, man. Uh, poor Robin. Uh, he well, not poor. He was married to fantastic Mrs. Boobs. What was that? <laughs> Pat- Paula Patton. Paula Patton. That's right. Man, fantastic man. Mrs. Boobs. Like, <laughs> come on. If I said that, you know, there would be a little bit of you know shame, right? Fantastic <laughs> Mrs. Boobs. He uh, he was always a, like a crooner. And then he did that blurred lines thing. Hey, he was hey, like, oh, hey, hey, shit. hey, yep. hey, hey, and and everybody loved blurred lines until they stopped. It was mm-hmm. a, a huge hit, and then suddenly it just became, oh, we we mm-hmm. got to stop liking this. And, yeah, yeah, right. So it it just it, we were like, no. Just collectively, everybody said no. Well, wasn't that wasn't it around that time that we started hearing about him cheating on Paula Patton and yeah, all that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what yeah. ended him. People were yeah. like, people. I mean, I think most people are like, eh, I'm okay with the cheating, uh, you know, with certain couples or whatever. But like Paula Patton, like, how do you do that? That's one of those like, how do you do that to her type of moments? Because pa- everybody knows Paula Patton's awesome. Well, well she also he also wrote like a apology song for and like publicly like admitted his wrongdoing and was like, kicked me I'm back cringing. and all that stuff it was very cringy yeah yeah so did, and he so poured i'm sure i'm sure he's so out that he cried for three days straight yeah. afterwards right so, so i'm sure he's out scoring poontang uh, <laughs> now and she's gonna get him red lobster if she if he fucks her gut yeah it's very true it's very true all right <laughs> <laughs> you heard about that right jeremy that red lobster thing she did that in a song song. she put in a song that that, formation yeah yeah Yeah. she's like if he fucked me good i'd take his ass to red lobster Mm -hmm. who who sang this beyonce Beyonce. that's fine i'm okay with that (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she can do whatever the fuck she wants to i mean i wouldn't go that far you know she's just like everybody you know she's a little overrated she's awesome Mm. but uh, point, her music recently, besides a, a few choice cuts off of Lemonade, uh, I hated that. She could put song. out, dude. She could put out a fucking bluegrass album, and before hearing one track, there'd be two hundred million people on Twitter going, "She's a goddess! Oh, she's yeah. perfect!" Mm-hmm. Yeah, she and uh, even Rihanna, I think, has reached that point where, like, anything they do. Uh, it's going to be almost universally acclaimed. Isn't that the the Madonna rule essentially? Right, Madonna. Madonna had those two or three like uh, transcendent albums, and then like no matter what she did, people just revered her mm-hmm. uh, no matter what. Yeah. And so, yeah. you, if you make, I think if you make three albums in a row that are huge hits, have all those big songs on it, you can pretty much do whatever you want. You get that, you know. you get that treatment. <laughs> Hmm. Let's move on. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy just go. died laughing at something he just didn't tell us. Uh, I was going to make an ill-advised uh, Stevie Wonder joke. Uh, okay. Okay, the joke uh, was going to be, you know who's a no-talent hack? <laughs> oh, okay. Stevie Wonder? Stevie Wonder. And then, yeah. you know, that, of course, is completely false, but I've, uh, because he's so lovable and Awesome! I didn't want to make that joke, but then I yeah. went ahead and did it anyway. So there you go. Uh, it's like you got peanut butter in my chocolate. You got chocolate in my group love. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> that sounds way dirtier than you probably intended. <laughs> he said he was going to stop it and restart it, and it's still going. And he left the room. So 
Mm. I'm not sure Barrett could be trusted today. He, he cannot be. Get on all three of us where it's not fucky. Mm-hmm. Does get does tend to get does tend to get fucky when when the three of us are involved. Fucky, mm-hmm. very fucky. <laughs> Was it? Does it? It's. Uh, I think Chris Rock calls Jamie Kennedy fucky in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> He's like, no, your name's Fucky. <laughs> There's no boogers in it, sir. <laughs> Booger free, sir. Get the fuck. Or you know. Take your dick out. Um, <laughs> I want to cut that part. Um, but, and or take your dick out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be fucking rad. <laughs> I'm going to cut that part out. Yeah, Jesus. probably a good idea.